Crisis on Infinite Earths, issue number eight. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, time travelers. We're back for another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine. I'm Matt Anderson, your host, as we've been journeying through the original crisis from DC Comics. That's right. I'm back again to finally do (laughs) issue number eight. All right. I'm just going to be honest. This has been a mess. I know it's been a mess. I've been reading this trade paperback for, I don't even know, over two years. I... Keep on reading one issue at a time so I can come back and record an episode for the Comic Quick Time Machine. And you'll remember, I'm sure I've talked about this every time, but issues number one through six I covered with Ben and Daniel because we were doing our group episodes and we'd wrap up by doing our event uh, talks. And so each of us would give a brief description on our event. And my event was this one, the Crisis. And I mean, even issues number one through six that I covered, that was really sporadic as we over the course of the beginning of the podcast together. And what year did we start this? Was it 2014 or 15? I It might have been 14, so maybe this has been over three years. I, I Like I said, this is a mess. All right, so we've been doing... You know what? Maybe I should find out when our first episode was. Oh, boy. Anyway, so I used to discuss this with Ben and Daniel. And even then, I, there was a lot of space because I only wanted to discuss an issue... Or sorry, I should say it a different way. I only wanted to read the issues as I discussed them. So... I couldn't read on, let's say I'd I'd finished two, but I couldn't read three until Ben and Daniel and myself had talked about two. So then I'd finally get to three, and then I have to wait for the next time that we all got together and I could talk about that issue. Well, now that I'm solo, you'd think I'd be able to do it quicker, but I haven't really made these a priority, but that's it. It's it's ending tonight. I'm going to make these a priority. This is my vow to you. I'm going to discuss issue number eight right now, and then get to 9, 10, 11, and 12 ASAP. I, I've just started this brand new series called The What If Challenge. You can check that out at comicbooktimemachine.com. But Crisis on Infinite Earths, that's going to be concluded here, I'll say by the end of 2017. That's right. And that's crazy because, I mean, the last episode I did was in September 2016, and here I am recording in August 2017. I can't believe it's almost been a year. It doesn't feel like a year, but... That's why I'm saying this is why it's crazy that I haven't, I read one issue in about a year and that's not good for keeping continuity straight in a story. Luckily, I've been keeping really detailed notes for these episodes so I can go back and read the notes and refresh my memory. But this is a great story in DC history and I am not treating it correctly. I'm not giving it the respect it's due. I feel like reading this straight through would probably be a really great experience. And for me, I'm really relying on my knowledge of the event that I know just without even reading it to get me through. So I understand this is not a great way to do this, but nonetheless, that's what's happening. But here I, here we are again. I said, I'm going to finish this entire series by the end of 2017, which will be kind of kind of a mammoth undertaking but i think i can do it i think i can do it and right now before i even get into that i just have to know when did we start this podcast i think it was around july 20 
14 is what I'm guessing. So yeah, here we are. Oh, that was good. This is what I thought. Our favorite series of all time. That was our issue or episode number one released on July 21st, 2014. I believe it was that episode that I did the very first review. Yeah, look at this. Ben Avery laid this out well. So I think I can tell you. I'm just going to quickly run through this in case you want to refresh your memory. Uh, There's no way you want to. (laughs) I was going to tell you all of the episodes you could go to to go listen to the past ones. But just do this. Go to the website, comicbooktimemachine.com. On the left-hand side, there are some different things you can click on from the main page. Is that right? Or is it? do you have to go for podcast first? Uh, let's see. All right. Click the podcast button. Go to events. Is that how I even found this? Okay. Well, I'm obviously describing this horribly. You can find all of our past event talk on the website. And I don't know how to tell you how to do it. I just know I did it a second ago. And now I don't remember. So... All the events have been discussed. I finally did Seven Alone back last September, which was, I think, episode 89. (laughs) And so here we are with tons of episodes later. I'm back to discuss issue number eight. All right. That's enough talking. Let's get to this issue. What happens in issue number eight? All right. So I actually just finished reading issue number eight yesterday as I'm recording here. And I'm finally ready to go through this description. First, though, do want to give you the quick snapshot on the history of this book. So original cover price was 75 cents. The cover date is November 1985, but it actually was on sale on August 1st, 1985. And the cover says, The Final Fate of the Flash. So I've been doing all spoilers here, so I'm not afraid to tell you this. But I've known for years, of course, I think most comic readers know that Barry Allen died during the original crisis. And of course, now he's back in comics. But for years and years, he was gone because of what happens in this issue. And we'll get there. I'll describe what happens. But to be honest, as I read it, just with the modern sensibility that I have uh, when it comes to how comics are told nowadays, I would never have thought this was actually a death that would stick. It seems like the kind of death that has return or resurrection written all over it. So I'm shocked that this character stayed gone for so long. Uh, I mean, it didn't really feel like that dramatic of a death. And I've read other stories where characters die, even though I knew they were going to die. Famous stories like the death of Gwen Stacy. And as you're reading that story, you do feel the emotion or even the uh, death of her father, uh, Captain Stacy, as well. I was expecting to feel more emotion I guess I could also talk about Supergirl from uh, one of the previous issues that we talked about. All of those, you could feel the emotion behind. With this Flash one, I don't know why, but it didn't quite hit me. And maybe it's because he's back now. And those other characters I talked about, even Supergirl never came back exactly the same. Uh, But yeah, I guess for this being well-known, this issue is well-known for being the death of Flash, Barry Barry Allen Flash. I thought... It was a great sacrifice, but not something that really resonated with me emotionally. All right. Well, with that being said, let's dive in to the description. So this issue opens up on Antimonitor's ship, and we've got Cycle Pirate there. Uh, Antimonitor is still using him, uh, and Flash is there more as a prisoner. So in a sense, they're both prisoners, but really Flash is the one that's the most imprisoned. And 
Psycho Pirate is talking about the possibility that Anti Monitor died in the explosion that killed Supergirl. Uh, you know, of course, he did not. He comes back a second later, and when he shows up, he looks noticeably different when it comes to his armor. So Psycho Pirate asks him about it. Why? Why does your armor look different? And the Anti Monitor says that Supergirl, uh, Supergirl destroyed his outer shell, so now he had to construct a new presence around him. So it kind of got me thinking, and maybe. Other readers will know the answer to this already. I don't know for sure what's going to happen, but it's almost as if the anti-monitor is a force of nature. I don't know if we've ever seen him without some sort of armor on. So what if there is just a, he said, I constructed a new presence around me, but what if he's more of a presence that's shown humanoid because of an armor, but we don't know what is actually under there. Now, of course, I know there's probably people listening right now that know what Anti-Monitor looks like under his armor. I just don't. So it left me with this feeling that this could almost be almost a spiritual type being rather than just a straight up alien. So uh, I don't have an answer to that right now. So I'll read on uh, and find out. So then after this scene in the Anti-Monitor ship, we go to Apocalypse. And of course, you know, Apocalypse is where Darkseid reigns. Uh, The description as the... um, caption box comes up in this panel says that apocalypse is an other dimensional world i've actually wondered about uh apocalypse when it comes to other stories i've read even some of the new 52 stuff i didn't really get the clear distinction on is apocalypse in a different plane inside our universe or is it in a parallel universe so uh i mean i guess maybe a better way to say is it a different planet or is it on a whole separate, like alternate dimension? So, as I was reading through some recent New Fifty Two stuff, Apocalypse has been, uh, or in the past, had invaded some different Earths. You know, Earth uh, Two got invaded. Even the Prime Earth got invaded. So, but I wasn't sure. Is that just in that uh, in the each of those stories? It was a different dark side and a different Apocalypse. And I think I started to find out that no, this was just one Apocalypse that's going across the multiverse. And this story in Crisis Hero, at least this caption box, really does seem to indicate that Apocalypse is its is inside its uh, own universe, really. So there's just one dark side. There's not multiple dark sides for every universe in the multiverse. So there we go. There's an answer to that. So Dark Side indicates to his follower Desaad that he's actually cloaked their world so that it won't be destroyed if the Anti-Monitor is successful in destroying the multiverse. So that's interesting. So he's, in a sense, cloaked this whole other parallel universe. So, yeah, it is good to have got that clarification, because in some ways, Apocalypse just feels like a planet. And in fact, I think in other past stories, we've seen Superman travel to Apocalypse, just like he's going to a different planet. But for the sake of the story, I'm just going to have to define it as his own parallel universe. So there we go. Um so back to what Darkseid was saying to to decide, you know, he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. It seems like Antimatter is going to win. So in that case, their parallel universe is cloaked. Uh, if Antimatter does win, Darkseid says, he's going to use that time when Antimatter is most weakened to attack and destroy him. And this is kind of cool because I've read, again, back in the New 52, in some recent stories we've had, uh, there was an event called the Dark Side War in which we got a chance to see the Anti-Monitor and Dark Side go head to head. So it's cool going, you know, 30 years back and seeing that 
there's always kind of been this rivalry or animosity between these two. So uh, I think that's pretty much all they had here of Darkseid in this issue. But then we do get, uh, let me see here. I think this is maybe where I got the reminder because I wrote it in my notes here that this is uh, where we are reminded that there's only four universes left. And I guess not counting Apocalypse uh, before the full multiverse is destroyed. So now we're at a point in this issue where lots of characters are commenting on how the merging has started. That's how they're referring to this whole thing merging because the earths are merging and uh ultimately you know anti-monitor wants to destroy the whole thing but this merging has been halted but there's still areas of the earth that are overlapping with other earths so kind of crazy there and then at this point in the story a bunch of characters appear but to be honest the story there's not really a lot to say that's interesting about all these different appearances so i'm just gonna read off to you uh, the names of a bunch of different heroes or groups of heroes just so you i have chronicled that they're there and if they come back up in future issues now we're kind of tracking that okay they were there but nothing really big happened so here we go long list legion of superheroes the green lantern Corps. we get this character blue devil who i know nothing about john stewart who is a green lantern but he has sort of his own side project firestorm firehawk the adam the martian manhunter the um, the omega men we get the Red Tornado and his creator, T.O. Morrow, Cyborg, and Vixen. Those are some characters that appear in these next pages. And then we go back to the anti the antimatter universe. There were, we learn, again, from caption boxes that there are 53 million worlds in that antimatter universe with 2 million containing life. And then at the galactic center of the antimatter universe is Kord. Now we've heard about Kord. This is a world that's said to be born of darkness and evil. And the anti-monitor is there. But now this is where I know something kind of strange about the anti-monitor. So I keep calling him the anti-monitor because that's what I've always heard him referred to. But in these pages, he refers to himself. Wait, no, maybe not to himself, but other people are referring to him just simply as the monitor. And I've always thought of these two as opposing factions. And not that the anti-monitor was a monitor himself. So I'm not sure what to do with that. I don't know if the... In fact, now that I'm really thinking back, I could be wrong about this, but I can't remember when I've actually read the the word anti-monitor other than just knowing from DC history that that's the character's name. So could have just been a mistake in this issue. And maybe I'll have to go back and flip through and, and confirm that that phrase anti-monitor has been used in... Well, you know, one of the past issues, one through seven so far. Uh, but like I said, here he's referred to as the monitor. Who knows why? But we find out his plan is to use an antimatter cannon to then obliterate the five remaining positive matter universes. Actually, uh, it's kind of interesting that he wants to use a cannon because when crisis ends, and I know, you know, what's going to happen afterwards, all of continuity is going to get changed. And what is actually canon when it comes to the story? Uh, for a lot of characters is going to end up being different. So I'm sure they didn't actually think about that at the time, but I kind of like to think about it now. So the antimatter cannon is going to destroy these five remaining universes. And then we go back to Psycho Pirate. He's talking to Flash. This time he's being a little bit more threatening. And then Flash, who has been contained in this gelatin type material, that's how they're holding the Flash so that they can, you know, he can't... Um, move really fast and vibrate out of his prison. So the gelatin is 
holding him uh, prisoner. And then we get flashed with this crazy verbal attack against Psycho Pirate. He, he escapes. He somehow gets the power to escape this gelatin. Again, I don't know if it's actually, it's more of a gelatin-like material. And he yells at Psycho Pirate, eat jello. And that's his big attack cry as he escapes. And uh, he, as he's getting away, he remarks that he's been in prison for weeks. Then the tables turn. He really uh, is able to overpower Psycho Pirate and then manipulate him to, or no, he, sorry, he doesn't manipulate Psycho Pirate. He uh, forces Psycho Pirate to manipulate the emotions of all of the antimatter monitors, slaves, or workers, or henchmen, or however you want to say it. So, of course, just as a reminder, Psycho Pirate's powers are emotion based. He can evoke emotion in people, good, bad, whatever. So, while this is all happening, all of Antimonitor's henchmen are distracting the Antimonitor himself. Flash finds the Antimatter cannon, and then this is where he formulates his plan to destroy it. Uh, you know, he's going to start running super fast because that's his power. And the plan is to save the multiverse by running really fast around the cannon, destroying it, just, you know, getting rid of all the energy, the Antimatter energy that's been building up. But he knows going into it that this is going to be a sacrifice but he knows he's doing it for the greater good. He thinks through the people that he didn't get to say goodbye to. And then he does successfully destroy the cannon. Uh, along the way, we, we see him uh, almost really dissolve. And while he's dying and dissolving, we get these flashes of what we've seen in other issues where he had appeared. So we see, uh, what was it? Was it issue three, I think, that he appeared before Batman and Joker. And now we kind of tied that loose end up. So there it is, the flash. Barry Allen is dead. Uh, I think when we go to the... Yeah, this is where it kind of closes up here. The the final scene, or the next scene, I should say, features the challengers of the unknown. I don't think we've seen them so far in this series, but it's possible that we have. Uh, the challengers are doing some research. Uh, all of a sudden, the whole Earth has this sort of earthquake, and everybody hears this tremendous scream. And then we find out as we turn the page that this is the scream of the specter, you know, this great spiritual being. Uh, like I was saying earlier, uh, maybe anti-monitor is a force of nature. A specter is a sort of force of nature, uh, maybe working for God or a God. Not really sure how it all works in the DC Universe theology, but uh, we get the text that says about the specter. He senses the universal disruption around him. He senses... He senses time flowing through a river of chaos. He senses a move to change reality. And so, in frustrated anger and futile protest, he screams. For it is the scream of one who stands helpless as the weakest insect, yet whose power is almost as great as the gods themselves. So those are the closing lines. Other than, on the final page, at the bottom, there is a memorial quote for Barry Allen. You know, having the years that he's been alive, and then this is his the, the year he dies. So like I was saying at the beginning of this review, to me, it didn't seem like this is a definitive death for a character compared to lots of other deaths we've seen in comics. So I feel like they put that there to really drive it home. But yes, Barry Allen is gone because I don't think they did that for Supergirl. So uh, then it teases the next issue. It says at last the villain war. And, you know, from just knowing about the crisis in general, I've heard maybe little, little tidbits about this but i don't really know what the villain war is i believe that lex luthor and brainiac i think it is were collecting villains because we've seen scenes where 
villains disappeared. There was no explanation. So maybe issue nine now is going to pay that all off. I don't know why it's called the villain war unless, I mean, I would imagine they're going to try to help the good guys, but who knows? I I don't really know what's going to happen here. So that's what's happening in the next issue. So I think that's a good time to close it out here. Uh, Fun issue. Definitely when it comes to the crisis as a whole, probably one of the most memorable issues because of the death of flash. But uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. It feels like we turned a corner and now we're heading into the third act and things will start to get wrapped up. But for now, I'm going to close the show out. Oh, I do want to direct you to one of my past episodes. Uh, real recently, I did an episode called the What If Challenge. So if you have heard any of our old episodes, you'll know that I like these parallel universe stories. Marvel Comics does a series called What If or had in the past uh, the series called What If where each issue tells its own sort of parallel universe story. You know, what if Spider-Man made this choice instead of that? How would that have changed his life? You know, what if uh, we talked about Gwen Stacy earlier? What if Gwen Stacy had had lived and she hadn't died? Then what would happen? Uh, and it's not just Spider-Man focus, of course. There's uh, lots. All the characters get a what if a story, I'm sure, at some point. So uh, I have collected a lot of these issues and not read them through all the way uh, or really barely read any of them to be honest so i'm using the podcast to encourage me to get into this pile of what if comics i'm going to read through three issues per episode and at the end of each of those what if challenge episodes we'll rank them and give you the best one and that's what the challenge is we're gonna the challenge is really for me to read through the comics i own and finally get to it but also to start to narrow down what are the best single issues of the series what if so check out uh, the What If Challenge. We uh, just released one episode recently, and I have a second one planned, already have done a little recording for. So check that out. But in the meantime, if you have any feedback for me, you can reach me at matt at the sci-fi You can also comment on our website or on our Facebook page. But for now, that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson, signing off.